Welcome to Christmas season. Uh, you know, this is the time of year where it's not just a day, it's a whole, it's a whole season. And uh, it's actually really exciting. It's a, it's a, it's a good time of year. Uh, it feels like the Christmas season is starting earlier every year. I'm pretty sure this year I saw Christmas decor for sale on July 4th. Um, and uh, I think one day we'll probably just do it year round, which will be, you know, good for some people and really tough for others. But uh, it's nevertheless, it's a great time of year to be together. And uh, it's different than any other time of year. It's really unique and uh, it's exciting for, for most of us. But we also know that there are a lot of people that if you're dealing with uh, loss this year or any kind of trauma, that the Christmas season can actually um, magnify some of those emotions too and can be a challenging time. So uh, we're very aware of that too. And I want you to know that we uh, are praying for you and I, I pray for the people in our church all the time that, that the Lord would just bless you. And, and uh, even though this can be a challenging season, that it would still be very blessed for you. In fact, as followers of Jesus, if you're a, a Christian here today and you know Jesus, no matter what the emotions are that are stirred during this season, there's definitely one thing that we can all celebrate together during this time. And that is the fact that we are celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, coming to the earth in a manger, and, uh, and living this life that he lived for us and then dying for us too, and then eventually raising up from the dead. And so we celebrate that and, and it gives us something to, to be excited about. Uh, the book of Isaiah tells us that uh, there was a pro Isaiah gave lots of prophecies about the coming of Jesus. And he says that the Messiah will come and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And uh, in fact, the angel in Luke, when the angel uh, announced the coming of Jesus, he says that today a savior has been born to us, to you and to me. So he is the God that came for us, came to live for us, came to love us and to actually die for us. So we celebrate that this Christmas season. We know that Christmas has become very secularized across the country, but uh, in the church and for us as believers, it is still about Jesus. And we praise him for that today and we're thankful for it. Uh, I want to give you my text verse this morning. I'm going to be reading out of uh, John 18. And, uh, you know, we are, uh, we're talking about the fact that he is the king. He's King Jesus. And uh, Jesus is, it's not just about this, this season isn't just about his birth, but it is also about anticipating his coming back. And when he comes back, he's definitely coming as a victorious king. And, uh, but he was king when he was on the earth too. In fact, that's what my text verse is about today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. Uh, as I read out of John 18, this is after Jesus had been arrested and Pilate was questioning him. The governor was questioning him about who he was because the Jews wanted him to be crucified that day. And we see a little interaction here between Pilate and Jesus. Starting in verse 33, it says that Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He confirmed that he is a king. Not only is he a king, he's the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The title of my message today is Long Live the King. 
Would you pray with me this afternoon, this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this time we have together, God. We pray that you would do what only you can do in these moments, Lord. Let your word transform us, make us more into your image today, God. Help us to have open hearts to learn and to grow and to be more like you, God. We invite you into this time that we have together for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Long live the king. So this term, long live the king, is a term that's, that's been used over time for uh, when there was a change in the kingship status of a monarchy, of a kingdom. When one king would die and another king would take the place, they would, they would say, long live the king, because this, the status had changed, and so they were showing their support to the new king. They were embracing and honoring this new king and the new status that has happened because somebody else stepped into that role. And so they would just declare, long live the king. And it's interesting because when it comes to Jesus, he definitely was a king. He was born a king. He was a king before he was born. And then he lived as a king and he died as a king. His status of being a king did not change when he died. He continued to be king and he is king today. He's ruling and reigning today in his kingdom. The status that changed when Jesus died was actually ours, which is really cool. He didn't change at all. His, who he was and who he is is the same. But when he died and rose again, our status is the one that changed. We went from the old covenant to the new covenant. We went from the law to grace. We went from being separated with, from God to being able to be brought into relationship with God. And it's a really beautiful thing. And so we declare with him, long live the king. We're thankful that he has, has been and is and always will be the king overall. And you know, we don't typically use the term king very often because uh, you know, living in the, the Western world, living in the United States, we, we don't really have a great understanding of kingdoms and monarchies because we're a democratic republic, so we don't really have a, a lot of understanding of that necessarily. So we don't use the term king a lot, even when we talk about our Lord, we typically would use the terms Lord and Savior. Uh, where, you know, Savior is about the fact that he saved us. He saved us from death, hell, and the grave. And Lord is about who is in charge. In other words, who is the king? So you could, you could pretty well, you could uh, interchange the word Lord and king. And we typically use the word Lord because we don't, again, don't have a, a whole lot of reference to a king. But we know enough to know that kingdoms are not democracies. And the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's not about voting somebody into power. Um, it is about a, a king stays in power their whole life, or as long as they can hold power. And even when that king dies, they will typically pass it on to somebody in their family, a relative, that will continue that. And as long as that family lineage can hold the throne, they will stay in power forever. And the people of the kingdom are the subjects. They are just part of the kingdom. They are there for a purpose, but they don't get to decide what their purpose is. They don't get to decide what they want to do. If you are part of a kingdom, you are the subjects and you are not about your own will. In fact, your purpose in your life is to promote and advance the will and the kingdom of your king. And in that way, the kingdom of God is very similar to the kingdoms of this world because it is, is, is meant for us not to decide our own 
purpose, our own will, not to fulfill our own design for our life, but to actually, we are designed as subjects of the kingdom of God to promote and to advance the will and the kingdom of our God. That's his plan for us. That's why he wants to be our king and he is our king. In fact, uh, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter six, he mentions this briefly, not about the kingdom, but just kind of giving us an understanding of the approach that we are to take, that who we are in the kingdom of God. He says that you are not your own, you were bought with a price. So he's saying, if you're part of the kingdom of God, you're not your own. You're not living to advance your will. You're not living to advance your kingdom. You're living to advance the kingdom of God because you are not your own. So the question today is, is he your savior and your king? Is he your Lord and savior or is he just your savior? Is he ruling over you or is it just that he saved you? Because it's not the same thing. In fact, this is something that makes the kingdom of God unique from other kingdoms in the world is that you don't have to submit to his kingdom. Submission to the kingdom of God is actually voluntary. We get to choose whether or not we will be part of that kingdom and submit to that kingdom. There's no other kingdom in the world that would give you that opportunity. If you're in their kingdom, you have to submit to the will of the king. But in the kingdom of God, he says, it's up to us. We get to choose whether or not we're gonna allow him to be our king. Now, the Bible is clear that that is the plan for us, that he would be our king, but he doesn't force it on us. He doesn't force us to live in that way. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians gives us a little insight into that too. In chapter five and verse 15, he says, and he, Christ, died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Doesn't say you can't or that you must not or that this is the only option, but he's saying you should not live for yourselves, but you should live for him who died and was raised again. We don't have to, but we should. It would be in our best interest, amen? It's a, it's a good thing for us to allow him to be our king. So is he your king today? Is he king of your heart? Is he king of your life? Or is he just your savior? You see, we don't have a problem with him being the savior. If you're here today and you have any kind of relationship at all with Jesus and you've stepped into salvation and he became your savior in your life, you know enough to know that you need a savior. We want a savior in our life. In fact, there are scores of people who have heard the gospel message and heard the first part about it, about the salvation, and they have latched onto that and said, yes, I would like that. I would like forgiveness for all the stuff that I've done in my life. I know enough to know that I'm not good enough, that I don't measure up. So if God's offering me mercy and forgiveness and he wants to save me, I'll take some of that. Where they get tripped up oftentimes is when it says, well, but there's another part to this too. You actually have to give your life to him. You actually stop living for yourself now and you're living to serve him. You're living surrendered to him and his will for your life. You don't get to choose anymore what your plans are, what you're gonna do with your life and what's gonna be success, what success is gonna look like in your life. Now you're living for him and for his plan and for his purpose and to advance his will in your life. And that's where people say, wait a minute, I don't know about that part. There are a lot of people that have rejected the salvation because they weren't willing to do the second part. They wanted the savior they didn't want the Lord. They didn't want the King because it required too much of them. And hopefully for us, that's not where we're at 
today. You know, because the idea of him being a king, it sounds really good. It sounds good on stage. It sounds really good in songs. So the songs we sing in December about King Jesus, man, they can get my emotions stirred up. They probably do yours too. You see the crowns on the, on the screen going up and you think, man, it's so awesome that he is king. I'm so excited that he is the king. And the graphics can look really good. But when it comes down to it, if he's your king, that means he has total authority in your life because that's what a king has. And that's what he expects. See, it's really easy for us to give him the title of king in our life. It's a lot harder for us to give him the authority of a king in our life. And I'm here today to challenge you and to encourage you that it's a big deal, that he wants to be king of every area of your life. He doesn't just wanna be your savior. He wants to have the authority over your life too. And this is a battle for every one of us as Christians. There's not a person that has li hasn't given their heart and their life to Jesus that has not had this challenge in their life where they've said, man, I really like the saved part, struggling with the king part. I've struggled with it plenty in my life where I have, where I have said, man, I really wanna see my will be done, God. Thank you for the salvation, but I don't know if I wanna give you authority in this area right now because I really don't know if I trust you because I really think I need to make this happen the way I want it to happen. We all have dealt with that in our life. Some of you are dealing with it today. Some of you have areas in your life where you're like, yeah, you can have authority in this, but not in this, and you're struggling with it. And I, I praise God in my own life where I have had times where I've struggled with that, that, that God has brought me back quickly and shown me that, you know what, it's actually a good thing to give him authority over every area. Because he's, he's actually a really good king. He's not even just a good king, he's the best king. And if he wants authority in that area, it's not gonna be to harm you, it's not gonna be to, to uh, oppress you and beat you down, it's actually gonna be to bring you up. And so he's worthy of it and he's good for it to be able to do that. But this is a challenge that we struggle with in our life. And unfortunately, many, many choose to let him be savior, but not necessarily king. Because being a king goes, be, if he's a king in your life, that goes beyond just receiving what you get at salvation and demands that we give him everything. And that's where the inner battle starts in us because we know that there is an inner man, there's an inner woman in each one of us that, that just wants what they want. It wants what it wants and giving him kingship over our life goes against everything that is inside of us apart from the spirit of God. But I would argue that these things go hand in hand. Him being savior, him being king, they go hand in hand in our life. In fact, I would even argue that he can't be savior if he's not king. It's not a, it's not a potluck where we get to choose, uh, yeah, I'll take the salvation, but I don't need the other part. Jesus expects us to be all in. In fact, nowhere in scripture will you find where it talks about you just receiving the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God and then going off and doing your own thing. It's actually just the opposite. It says when we receive that, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. In fact, if you don't lay your life down for me, you're actually not worthy of me. Does that sound like someone that's okay with just saving you but not being your king too? It's something he demands of us. If we're going to partake in the one, he wants us to partake in both of them. And when we only want the one and we're not drawn to, we don't have a desire to give him kingship in our life, it tells us one of two things in your personal life. It'll tell you either you haven't really 
experienced and seen Jesus or you've lost sight of him. Which is easy to do in this world that we live in. It'd be great if when we got saved, we were just immediately whisked off to heaven and all the battles were gone, but that's not how it works. And so it can, it can be easy to lose sight. And I wanna illustrate it with a, story, a, a, a passage in scripture that really is the gospel. And what's so wonderful about it is that it's actually in the Old Testament. Those that would say the gospel is not in the Old Testament, it was only a New Testament idea, don't really know their Bible because the gospel, the redemptive story of Jesus is all through the Old Testament. It's everywhere. There are types and shadows of Jesus everywhere. And what I'm about to show you here in Isaiah is actually an exact example of it. It's not even a type and shadow, it's a vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah six, and many of you have seen this, you've read this, you know this story, you know this, this scenario very well, but I wanna kind of break it down a little bit today because it's so beautiful and it shows us what the expectation is for those of us that have received the forgiveness of God. So in Isaiah six, Isaiah gets ushered into the throne room of God. And we don't know if it's a vision or if he actually went in there, an out-of-body experience, we don't know, but it doesn't really matter because the reality is he was there, God showed him gave him a glimpse of the throne room. So let me read Isaiah 6, one to five. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. That's the picture of a king. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. That's a very important part there. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. So this is an amazing picture that we see, an amazing visual of the throne room of God that Isaiah got to see and was documented so that we get to see it too. You see the throne room here. And by all accounts, it, it, it's evident that Isaiah was just a spectator in the room. He walked in and he got to see what was happening. He was just a spectator. And you see that he, it says that as soon as he saw the king, he immediately was aware of his own inadequacy. He was immediately aware of his sin. He was aware of the fact that he didn't measure up. He was aware that he was not even anywhere close to good enough to really belong in that room. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, woe is me, for I am a sinner. He saw his sin because he saw the king. That's why he saw his sin. He didn't do anything in that room at that point that would say that he was a bad person. It was just he saw what was on, going on inside of him. And if you know the, the story, an angel flies down to the altar, grabs a, a coal off the altar and touches his lips with it and cleanses him. He gives him the grace and mercy to forgive him of his sins. That's the gospel. Isaiah didn't do anything to deserve the forgiveness, yet he received it from God in that moment. And he receives this forgiveness. And then again, if you know the story, you know what happens next is that God is speaking and he says, hey, who's gonna go for us? Who's gonna go out there and tell the people? And Isaiah immediately jumps up. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. 
Isaiah saw the king. He saw his own inadequacy and his own sin. He was completely delivered and forgiven of that sin. And his immediate response was, I am your servant. He got to, be, he got to see God as his savior. He saved him by cleansing his lips. And immediately Isaiah says, now you're my king. Now you're my king and I am part of your kingdom now. I no longer live to serve my own will and my own purpose. Now I'm going to live to serve for your purpose. And so when God just randomly says, hey, anybody, who's going to go for me? Isaiah, because he saw God and he became saved and he became part of his kingdom, Isaiah immediately says, ooh, ooh, me, 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 let me go. And can I tell you, church, this isn't like that thing like ministry. Like, oh, I get to be like on a platform and I, everybody's going to adore me and I get to be this great person. He was going to be the prophet of Israel and Israel hated his guts. This was not a big, high, great, wonderful calling that Isaiah was going towards because it had nothing to do with that. All it had to do with was the fact that God needed somebody and I've been saved and you're my king and I'm going. And that's what it looks like when we step into the salvation. Amen. When we have really seen Jesus, when we have seen him and we haven't lost sight of him, we will want him to be our king. Now, and, and this isn't to, this isn't from, I'm not standing up here all sanctimonious. I am telling you that this is something we all deal with. But when we, under, when we realize it, when we realize that, man, there's areas of my life, I don't want him to be my king, unless he wants to come in and fix it. But not really, that's not really what him being your king is. Him being your king is, means that you're completely surrendered and submitted up under his authority in your life. And there's areas that we don't want that. And when, when that's the case, we have to go to God and say, God, let me see you. Reveal yourself to me in such a way that I would, I would jump up and say, ooh, ooh, me, 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 God. Let me submit to you. Let me do your will in my life. Let me help advance your kingdom. Oh, I'm gonna die for it? That's all right. That can only come from someone that has seen him, that has seen him on his throne where the train of his robe filled the temple. And he saw that the people, the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy. And he got a glimpse of just how holy God really is. When it gets to that place, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. That should be the cry of our heart to see him in that way. And we thank him for it. When he is our savior, it describes his commitment to us. But when he's king, it describes our commitment to him. And that should be our heart. Him being our savior means that he died for you, that he gave it all. Him being your king means that he has authority over you in your life. And you know, being part of his kingdom and him being your king comes with benefits. But you don't get those benefits unless you're part of the kingdom. But the benefits are amazing. You know, there's something in, in us that, as a human being that, that wants to uh, have freedom and not have to be subject to anyone or anything with everything in our life. And so that, there's, that, there's that pushback that we get. But man, when we give him the authority, when we submit to him and surrender to him and let him be Lord over our life, let him be king over our life, there are some benefits that so far outweigh the fact that I can't do my own thing. It's wonderful. And I just, I want to give you just a few of them today that, that kind of go towards the whole idea of him being your king that I hope to encourage you with today. There are benefits of the kingdom. And the first one is that if you're part of his kingdom, you get a full birthright. You get a full birthright. This is, this is something we don't understand a lot either in the US, in the West, the whole idea of birthright, because it's not really a thing in our culture so much, but it's a, it's a big thing in some other cultures. And it was a big thing back in the ancient cultures 
where birthright was a big deal. Having the birthright meant the world. And this is something that makes the kingdom of God unique from other kingdoms, is that when you become part of the kingdom of God, you're not just a subject of the kingdom, you actually become a child of the king when you come into his kingdom. So now you're not just some peasant that's just hanging out, hoping that the king will notice you one day, you're actually in the inner circle of the king's family. You're actually part of that family that matters. You're, you're, you're not just someone that, that hopes that things go well. You actually get to go live in the palace. You actually go get to hang out with the king. You become part of the family of God. And he is our king in the sense that he has authority over our life, but he also becomes our father. And there's nothing greater than having the king of the universe as your dad. It's pretty amazing. The Bible is clear that we become part of the family of God. In fact, Romans 8 is a wonderful verse, uh, passage in, in verses 15 to 17 that declare that. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Praise God that we are his children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. So not only are you a kid, a child of the king, you are an heir of the king, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. How beautiful is that, that we become part of the family, that no matter what your upbringing is, you know, if you're in a kingdom setting, in an earthly kingdom, if you were born a peasant, you're gonna die a peasant. You, there is no way because it's all about the bloodline. And so you can't all of a sudden have royal blood in you if you were born a peasant. Unless something really, really crazy happens, like with Esther, when she actually became queen, even though she had no royal blood in her. But that is such a rare occurrence. For the most part, whatever blood you were born with, that's how you're going to live your life. But in this kingdom, we actually get to change our blood. We get to change our DNA. We are regenerated. We're brought from death to life, and we're brought into the family of God. 1 John 3, 1, another beautiful, one of the best verses in all the Bible says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise God that we are children of God, and it has nothing to do with us. And what is so wonderful is that the reason we become children of God is in that verse. It says, it's the love of the Father that he has lavished on us. It's because he loves us that he wants to be our king. It's because he loves us that he decided to bring us in and make us part of his family, not just be subjects of his kingdom, but actually be children in his family. And that is a wonderful thing and a huge benefit of being part of the kingdom. We get the full birthright. And if we get the full birthright, that means we also get full access. We get access to the king. Can you imagine getting access to like, I mean, we don't have kings here, but like, let's say the president. It's like, you have free access to the president whenever you want. You just drive up to the White House, the guard at the White House just kind of gives you the thumbs up and you just keep on trucking. You go right into the Oval Office and hang out with the president. Whenever you want. It'd be crazy. Yet that's exactly what this gives us. We get full access. Because we are part of the inner circle of the family, that means we get full access to the king. And you see, this is completely different than kingdoms of the earth. Because in kingdoms of the earth, the king is insulated from the public. The king is going to be completely insulated 
and kept away from the public. You can't get audience with the king unless you are some really high prestigious person. Unless you have some really valuable thing that would make the king want to be with you. He doesn't have time for you. He doesn't have time for your puny little problems. He's trying to run the country. And so you are not getting audience with the king. And in fact, what he wants you to do is just follow the rules and leave them alone. That's what he wants. That's what is expected, is that you would just follow the rules and leave him alone. And I wanna say that for many of us, maybe that's the God we grew up serving. Maybe that's the king we knew. Maybe that's the king you know today. The God you know, you see him as this high and mighty king on a throne and you're a nobody and what God wants you to do is follow the rules and leave him alone. He doesn't have time for your puny little problems. That's a lie that has been perpetuated in many, many hearts over since time began. And I can tell you, that's something I dealt with early in my faith, that I thought God was this big, high and mighty dictator. And, all I, and as long as I did what was right and I followed the rules, he'd leave me alone. And I could never really come into the presence of God because he, I wasn't worthy to come into his presence. And frankly, I didn't want to come into his presence because if I was in his presence, that meant I was probably in trouble. And that's how I lived my faith for years. And it wasn't until I had the realization that that's not who he is at all, that he's actually a father that wants to give me access into his presence, that that's his goal, that's his heart, that's his desire for me, is that he made me one of his children so that I could have access to him and come into his presence and be with him and be able to rejoice and enjoy fellowship with him in my life. This king is different. He's not insulated at all. He's completely available to us. And not only is he not insulated, not only is he available, his desire is that we would come to him. He is inviting us into his presence. Not only is he saying the door's unlocked if you wanna come in, he's saying, please come in, come in. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is so beautiful. Jesus is inviting us to come into his throne room where he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's saying, come in with me. And the reason he wants you to come in with him is so that he can give you rest. Now I'm sure I'm the only one here that needs rest, but I, at least I'm thankful for it because he's the one that gives us peace. He's the one that takes our burdens upon himself and takes our yoke upon him. He is the one that can actually give us real rest in our life. And he's saying, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want, and I'm telling you, I want you to come so I can give you the rest you need. What a wonderful God it is that we serve in our life. Hebrews tells us that we can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what he did boldly approach his throne. We can strut into the throne room like we own the place. Now that's not totally true, we can't do that, but we can come boldly. Boldly meaning that we don't have to be ashamed, we don't have to have our head down, our hands behind our back, and our hat in our hand. We can come boldly, and it's not because of us, it's because of him. And we can thank him for that. And not only can we come to him, we can come as we are. That's what's so great. If you envision yourself coming before the king and every time you envision yourself coming, you're perfectly dressed, you're perfectly groomed, you have everything all together so that you can come stand before the king, you're not getting a picture of how this king works. 
See, in an earthly kingdom, if you do get audience with the king, you're gonna have to be dressed to the nines and your hair better be looking perfect. Your makeup better be great. You better smell good. Everything better be just right. You better know how to greet him or her and you better know exactly what to do. And we've talked about it before many times, but Esther, when she was said she was gonna go before the king, she had to go through 12 months of beauty treatments, of perfumes and lotions and food and all the stuff to make her look presentable to the king. That's not how our king works. He says, come as you are. He says, come on in, come into my presence. You know, when I hear people say sometimes to me when they hear I'm a pastor, they'll say, you know, ah, I wanna get back into church. You know, that's like, that's the first comment out of a lot of people's mouths. And uh, they'll say like, you know, I just need to get some things straightened out in my life first, you know, before I come back. And everything inside of me is screaming, no, 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 you're not, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. And I understand the church is not the throne room of God, but people make that correlation that if I'm gonna come back to church, that means I'm coming back to God. And if I come back to God, I gotta make sure I get all this stuff taken care of in my life. But our king says, no, 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 no. You don't get it taken care of before you come in. He says, you come into my presence and I'll change you when you come in. I'll change you. You're not gonna change yourself. Praise God. He is so good. And I know many of you have heard this hundreds of times about you can come as you are, you can come into God's presence, but yet there's still times that we recoil of coming into his presence because especially if we've messed up real big. Man, I really messed up this time. I don't know if I can come into God's presence. I need to wait, let it kind of settle down for a few days. And you know why we do that? Because as you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you've been living out this faith and he is transforming you and he is making you more into his likeness, we start to think that we are worthy to come into his presence. Like, yeah, no, I'm not really worthy, but man, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I, man, my, my worship game has been on point. My Bible reading has been solid. So I feel like I actually deserve to come before God. God, I can come to you now and say, give you my list of requests because of how good I've been. And we, get, we slip into that, time, that way of thinking. And then when we mess up, then all of a sudden, we're, oh, shoot. Now what, I, I gotta wait a minute. You know, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And all it is is pride. It's our pride that even though God's the one transforming us and changing us, we start to feel like that's what's making me worthy to come into his presence. What we don't realize is that no matter how good I am, no matter how great I'm doing, no matter how spiritual I think I am, when I come into his presence, I'm nothing but a vagabond standing in front of the King of Kings. And it's only him that can change me. It's only him that makes it to where I can even come before him. I don't get to stand before him because I'm worthy. I get to stand before him because I'm his. And that's what matters. And that's all that matters for any of us. Praise God. You are not worthy and you will never be worthy. And that's not said to beat you down. That's said to make you say, praise God, because I know I'm not good enough. It's not about being worthy, but he gives us full access because we, are, we have full birthright. And not only does he give us full access, he is also fully engaged. We get full engagement of the king. So access just means you get to be in the room, which is really cool, but he goes beyond that. He says, not only do you get to be in the room, you're not gonna be standing off in the corner just watching me work. He says, you come in the room, I'm gonna be fully engaged with you. He is an intimate and personal king that wants to be intimate and personal with you and with me. 
There's never a time that when we come, you know, you walk, if you have access into the, the king's chambers and he's talking to one of his, his high up officials and they're dealing with state stuff that's going on and maybe they're about to get attacked by another country or something and you come in the room, you're just gonna stand off and watch because you don't wanna disturb them. But let me tell you, with our king, when we come into the room, it doesn't matter what is going on, he stops everything to make sure that he is fully engaged with you every single time because the fact that he is God of the universe means he can deal with all the other stuff too and still be personal and intimate with you. He is fully engaged in our life. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. It's one of the reasons that Jesus came and died because our sin is what separated us from having that relationship with him. So him dealing with the sin got the obstacle out of the way so that we could have that intimate personal relationship with him again. He is fully engaged in our life. And that is a wonderful thing because, you know, when he becomes your savior, that's really great because that means that we're going to get to be with him in eternity. But when he's your king, that means he gets involved in the mess down here too. And he's the one that can actually deal with the mess. He's the one that can actually come into those situations to redeem, to restore, to heal, to set free, to do the things that we need him to do in our life. Savior is wonderful because eternity is going to be a long, long time. <laughs> a long time. It's going to be forever. So Savior's great. But King is really good too because he's coming into our situation now. He is, he is actively involved in our mess down here. And if he is involved in your mess, he can transform your life. The reason he can transform your life is because he has the authority to do so. He has full authority. There's nothing that is above his authority. Last week we talked about the sovereignty of God, that it means he is everywhere and he is in everything and he is over everything and he has full authority over everything that goes on in the universe. There's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing outside of his scope of influence. He has full authority. And if he has full authority, that means he can come into your mess and he can help. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus declared it. This is after he had resurrected from the dead. He said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if he's your king, that's pretty good. No limitations. No limitations to what he can do. He has full authority and he is not afraid to use it in our life. In fact, that's what he wants to do. As we come to him and, and engage with him so he can engage with us. He is a personal God who is intimately involved in your life and everything going on in it. John 15 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It talks about Jesus being the vine and we are the branches. And he says, if you will abide in me, I will abide in you. That's about intimacy. That is about a personal relationship. That it's not just about being thankful that God, that Jesus saved you and now I'm just gonna try to be the best person I can be and I'm gonna just go along just doing what I know to do. But it's about being intimate with him. It's about personally knowing him as your Lord and Savior. And when we are connected to the vine, we get the, the authority and the power that comes from that vine. As we are connected to it, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if we stay connected to him, that authority that God has, it even helps to guide us and direct us. He is not an absent God that, that, just, that we just read the Bible and hope that we do the best according to what the Bible says, but it's really about his spirit in us that we are his sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He's, he's so much more than just some God that's out on the cosmos. He is personal and intimate in our life. 
The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3 that he, he considers everything else in life rubbish compared to just intimately knowing Jesus. And that's for all of us, church. That wasn't just for Paul, that was for you and for me. He wants to have that relationship with us. And it is only possible because of the fact that he can be fully engaged in our life because we have full access to him because we have full birthright because of what he did for us. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I want to pray for us today. I want to read one more passage of scripture that just backs up the fact that he is so personal, so intimate that he knows everything about us. And he always has. And again, Old Testament, which is wonderful because he's always been a personal God. He's always known us. Psalm 139, 16, the psalmist says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That is a personal, intimate God that is engaged with you, fully engaged. And you know, there's probably areas of your life that, that you haven't really let him be king, maybe especially lately. Maybe you, maybe you haven't really let him have control of any area of your life. You just kind of want him to be your savior, but not your king. And I can't say it strongly enough. When we do that, we are missing out on so much of what God has for us in our life. We are missing out on that intimate relationship with him. We are missing out on what it looks like to actually be a child of the king, to actually walk as a child of the king that has access to him. He's not an absent father. He's not a father that's too busy and wants you just to leave him alone and go do your thing. He, he's inviting you in. Jesus says, come to me so I can give you rest, so I can refresh you, I can restore you. I can give you what you need each and every day to make it through the day because God knows that you need it. God knows that I need it. We all need that intimate relationship with him. And to know that he wants it with us more than we want it with him. How would that be to know that the king wants to be close to you more than you wanna be close to him? Talk about feeling like overwhelmed by the fact that somebody that's so high and mighty, somebody so much greater than you in so many ways is saying, please, I'm inviting you, please. In fact, I gave everything just so I could have that with you. I died so that I could have that with you. That's just hard for us. So whatever you're holding back from him today, I just encourage you to give it back to him as we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. Thank you for being our father. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for being our savior. God, you're everything. We are nothing without you. We are vagabonds. But you've taken us from a place of complete and utter depravity and desperation. And you cleaned us up. You gave us royal blood. You drew us close to you and said that we are yours. There's no greater privilege in the universe. And God, we are humbled to know that we can be in relationship with you. And we thank you for it today, God. I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for everyone online that's listening. God, that whatever area of our life we have been holding back, we've said, no, you're not king in this area. 
God, would you give every one of us the courage to let you in? Give us eyes to see. Help us to see as Isaiah saw in the throne room. When we see our inadequacy and we see your greatness to where we would say, yes, choose me, Lord. I'll surrender more to you. I'll submit more to your will. My will is nothing and your will is everything. Let that be our hearts today, God. Let that be the passion of our heart. And if it's not, Lord, bring us to that place. Reveal yourself to us in a strong way, God, in a new way, God, in a refreshing way that maybe many of us haven't seen in years in our life. But God, that we would see you in all your glory. We would see how good you really are in our life. That it would be revealed not just through our eyes, but through our heart. And in our spirit, we would know that you are who you say you are. And God would give you all the glory for it. You are worthy of it. You are awesome. We thank you for this Christmas season. God, we pray that you would help us to honor you, that we would exalt you during this month, Lord, that we would keep and remember to celebrate that this is all about you. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise God.